0: Speak to us, Lord, that we may desire to become what you have made us to be and may find our rest in you, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. On this day 213 years ago, Admiral Lord Horatio Nelson defeated a French and Spanish combined fleet And died in the process. The human story of Nelson, the man and the myth around him, has always fascinated people and when we hear of the Battle of Trafalgar it's for Nelson's death that most people will remember it. Over there to my left some of you will be able to see Nelson's memorial, his monument. With a statue of him standing nobly with a cloak over his right shoulder, hiding the loss of his right arm. To Nelson's right on the monument is the figure of Britannia with two boys pointing to Nelson as this is the man who should be your role model. And on his left, there is an open-mouthed lion, which according to the children's guide to St. Paul's can be interpreted either as roaring loudly at the enemies of Britannia or, as cats are wont to do, being about to vomit, given that Nelson was nearly always seasick when he went to sea. Nelson was very small as a baby and an adult. He didn't have a strong constitution. He was often ill with recurrent malaria, and yet also a brilliant naval tactician and leader, inspiring great loyalty in his men. One of the reasons he was so good was because he was a driven man. He had a deep hunger for fame and fortune, the consequence of being a poor parson's younger son without much in the way of connections and wealth. And he had a simmering resentment at being overlooked for promotion and given less recognition than other better connected but not so able naval officers. After a 20-year naval career going up through the ranks to Commodore fighting the Americans and the French, Nelson came to public notice through a bold maneuver during the Battle of Cape St. Vincent against the Spanish in 1797, which made him famous, even though he lost his arm shortly afterwards in a disastrous attack he'd organized in Tenerife. He went home to recuperate from losing his arm and when he'd recovered, went back to fight in the Mediterranean, defeating the French fleet and stranding Napoleon's army in Egypt at the Battle of the Nile. And he went on to fight in the Battle of Copenhagen before the climactic battle of Trafalgar, in which he was killed in 1805. His personal life was not exactly straightforward. It became somewhat scandalous. He was married to Fanny, who came from the West Indies, but saw little of her. While in the Mediterranean, after the Battle of the Nile, he began an adulterous affair with Emma Hamilton in rather more liberal Sicily with the connivance of her husband, the Ambassador Sir William, who needed Nelson's money and support. And in 1800, he travelled with Emma and her husband back to England after an awkward few months abandoned his wife, and settled Lady Hamilton and the daughter they had together on an estate in Surrey, where he was immensely popular. Nelson worked at being a celebrity. He sponsored poems and songs about himself. Indeed, he gave them out to people in various places. He talked up his exploits. He went on walkabouts in order to be seen and mobbed by the crowd. He gave liberal charitable funds to the poor. He engaged with the populace as a hero in an age when heroes were being created as alternative role models for the common man to head off any thoughts they might have of following the footsteps of the French into a revolutionary republic. That's why St. Paul's Cathedral, if you look around you, has so many Napoleonic-era monuments like Nelson's. It's government-sponsored propaganda, because setting up inspiring statues was a lot easier to do than having your head removed by a guillotine. And the monuments here in St. Paul's from that era are pagan and not Christian in character. They follow Roman and Greek models of classical heroism. Nelson's right-hand Admiral Collingwood, who's round over there, and others are held not in the arms of Christ, but in the arms of Greek gods. But the public loved it all, the statues and the scandals and the less-than-respectable way that Nelson carried on and how they felt that he understood his sailors and was kind to them and he was willing to ignore blatantly the orders of his superiors in order to be bold and decisive. His ability to run his fleet successfully, to win battles, and to lead campaigns was unparalleled. The nearest person today in the popular imagination, though not in military ability, might be Princess Diana someone who captured people's feelings and sympathy and was seen as not being one of the establishment. And like her, Nelson's allure and attraction as a celebrity was heightened by his death. He became a noble and sacrificial figure, giving his life for the nation. Some people think that he wanted to die at Trafalgar, but. The evidence is that he was hoping to come home again to his adoring mistress and his doting public, hoping at last to secure the recognition and the money for which he was working. As he left Emma Hamilton and his only child to go to sea six weeks before the final battle, Nelson wrote this in his journal. I leave all which I hold dear in this world to go to serve my king and country. May the great God whom I adore enable me to fill the expectations of my country, and if it is his good pleasure that I should return, my thanks will never cease being offered up to the throne of his mercy. If it is his good providence to cut short my days upon earth, I bow with the greatest submission, relying that he will protect those so dear to me that I leave behind. His will be done, amen, amen, amen. Nelson sought for adulation and wealth while ready to do his duty, hoping that he would return from battle with fame for which he would not have to pay the ultimate price His victory at Trafalgar gave Britain naval supremacy for a century and laid the foundation for the building of the British Empire. And he achieved his aim of being a great admiral and of being able to repeat over and over as he lay dying that he had done his duty for his country. Nelson's body was laid to rest here in the crypt of St Paul's on the 9th of January 1806. After much public grief and the most elaborate state funeral ever known, there were galleries built around the inside of this cathedral and some 10,000 people who came to see the funeral. And after it, thousands of naval veterans and others came to see Nelson's tomb down in the crypt by the light of an old lantern handed down from verger to verger in the dark and the dirt the unlit space below, with other other naval heroes like Admiral Collingwood buried alongside. In fact, so many people paid to come and see Nelson's tomb that Westminster Abbey got seriously worried about losing their tourist income and installed a realistic waxwork of Nelson in a side chapel in order to entice sailors and tourists back to the Abbey away from the exciting new tombs and sculptures at St Paul's. And adulatory biographies were written about Nelson suppressing the rather more disreputable episodes in his life which got in the way of the heroic and patriotic story woven around him. What are we to make of his story? Not only the story of Nelson, but also of the heroic statues around us, of men being gloriously killed for their country as they fought for political power. Of all the poor sailors and soldiers who had little choice about the fate to which Nelson and others took them. Of the slaves whose trade Nelson, like others of his time, defended. Of Nelson's love for his mistress and daughter and his abandonment of his wife and his father. Of Nelson's self-obsession and relentless pursuit of recognition. Nelson's most recent biographer describes his career as one of ups and downs. And Nelson as a human being like us, someone with the social attitudes of his time, emotional, disappointed, lonely, um, embittered, and acutely vulnerable. He searched for glory and what he called happiness. But while he found glory, happiness eluded him to the end. As he increasingly displayed himself before a public, eager for victories and gossip, the fault lines in his character were exposed. No man wanted more to be a hero, and he got what he wanted, but he found it bitterly wanting. This picture of Nelson is very different from the picture of Jesus in the second lesson that we've had just this afternoon. Perhaps a bit like Nelson, Jesus was popular with the crowds at least for a while, and not popular with those in power. But for Jesus, popularity didn't come because he wanted to be a hero, but because he healed and delivered those who were in need. When faced with those who had sacrificed the well-being of other people in the name of their God or of their country, Jesus spoke of and acted out the compassionate love of God for ordinary people, which Nelson, at his best, could also do as he cared for his sailors and some of those in need. But for Nelson, God was a remote figure of justice and providence. God would ultimately decide his fate, but was hardly the God of gentle, yet relentlessly deep compassion who we see in Jesus Christ. We've just sung in our hymn of the deep, deep love of Jesus, a love which Nelson never seemed to find for himself. But Jesus served God's people with warmth and compassion, and unlike Nelson, did did, did both without ego and knowing that he would not return, ready to give his life as a ransom for many, trusting that God his Father would lead him through the storms of sacrifice that lay ahead. The Gospel of Matthew reading quotes the prophet Isaiah, here is my servant whom I've chosen. He will not wrangle or cry aloud. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick until he brings justice to victory. Nelson broke many people and quenched many lives on his way to victory and glory. Yet he never got what he thought he deserved. And as we remember him today, we too can be challenged by the relentlessly deep compassion of God in Jesus, who shows us that the way to happiness is not to get celebrity, fame, and fortune, but to open our hearts to the love of God for us and to share that love with others. Happiness is not an end to strive for. Like Nelson, like Jesus, we will all suffer and be vulnerable as we go through life. But it's in the love of God for us that we find the security that brings not happiness but fulfillment. And so we put our trust, as Jesus did, in the grace of God And in the words of the hymn we're about to sing, we pray that God will hold us in calm and in storm, through life and through death, that in all things we may praise not ourselves, but the God who loves and saves us, the Christ who died for Nelson too. To God alone be the praise and the glory, now and forever. Amen.